Hi, I'm Adam Murray. Subtle Disruptors is about pondering two questions. What does it mean to live well in this moment, given the context within which we find ourselves? And how can we shape the world we live in so that it becomes closer to the one we want to inhabit? I do this by talking with people who you probably haven't heard of, but who I think are embodying a fascinating response to these two questions and doing it in a way that involves subtle changes all of us can make. I want you and I to get as much as possible out of these stories and to feel encouraged, connected and resolute in our own quests of subtle disruption. I guess set up for people is the idea that it doesn't need to be a huge thing. You don't need to have a huge space. You don't need to have a huge garden or even a veggie garden. You know, you can just have two pots at your back door and that makes a difference and that can lead to some really amazing changes in, in your life if you want it to, if you enjoy it and if that's something that you want to take on board. Hey, it's Adam Murray here. Thanks for listening again. This week, I got to travel to the outskirts of Geelong. It's one of the things I really enjoy about this podcast is getting to go to places that I wouldn't normally get to go to. And I got to hang out in Geelong with Kirsty Barchak, who is helping us form a better connection or a renewed connection or actually starting to understand, depending on where we are on the scale, of where our food comes from and what it means to eat wholesome food, to eat nutritious food and how easy it is to start doing that. She's written a book called Grow Just One Thing and I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation I have with Kirsty on the subtle disruption of growing our own food. Thank you. Kirsty, great to be sitting with you, chatting with you. Thanks, Adam. Do you want to talk about where we are actually sitting? Yeah, today we're sitting in our kitchen (laughs) of my home. So spring day that's a little unpredictable, so I would have liked to have been sitting with you out in my garden, but yeah. um, we're sitting in the place that comes second to that, which is at the hub of our home, the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe we can talk a little bit about the geography of where you are. So this is outside of Geelong yep. in Melbourne. Yes. It's called Highton. Yeah. Yeah, we're just outside Geelong, so it's about, oh, it's only 10-minute drive into town. Yeah, just off the freeway, and it's a, we're in the old part of the town, old part of Highton rather than the, the new developed area. So we've got a nice big house block. Yeah. Yeah, old street that's close to everything. Yeah. I did, just before I came here, I went to the Highton Village as well, a ah. nice little bunch of shops down there. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's really handy. Yeah. We actually don't very rarely go into Geelong, to be honest, because everything we need is very centrally located there in Highton. Yeah. And, you know, it's a quick drive into Melbourne if there's something some events on yeah. or some, something as well, so it's not far. Yeah. Mm. And we've just done a bit of a tour of your garden and yeah. you said when you first moved here, how many years ago was it? Six. Six years ago. Yeah. That was barely nothing mm. in the garden. Yeah. Did you have some vision and foresight as to what you were going to create when you moved here? A little bit. I think it was a bit like giving a kid a new a new toy because we'd come from the Arrow Rangers in Melbourne, so we're up past Belgrave. We had a really, really steep two-acre sloping block that had what well, was completely covered an acre of it in blackberries when we got there and gum trees, and that was it. So we had to get goats to clear the blackberries yeah. <laughs> so we could access that other acre, and the gum trees just suck the life out of the soil so that was the first place I tried to grow vegetables but I was not successful up there because it was the soil was just dreadful 
So when we moved here, the backyard was just a clean slate. So for me, my first thing I really wanted to do was start to grow the veggies that I was dying to grow because I had my little boy was three and my second son was a, a month off being born when we moved here. So, you know, the focus on food for me had really started to develop from over that period of time since my first son was born. So, yeah, it was just an ideal opportunity to go for it and do whatever we wanted to do. So in my mind, I wanted raised beds. So my husband kind of takes over that whole planning piece. I tell him what <laughs> yeah. I want. Yeah. <laughs> and so he he came up with where they were going to go and the size of them and he built them for me. Yeah. Um, and then I just went to work to fill them. <laughs> yeah. And then kept digging up more and more of the grass. So, yeah. yeah, we've added fruit trees in the meantime and another whole complete paved area was removed and made into vegetable garden as well. And now we've got to the point where my time commitment and my ability to spend as much time in my garden has changed, so I have less time now. So we're in the process of going through a revamp of that whole space, as you saw. So we're pulling out those raised beds now and changing them. And I'm actually what that end result will be is a reduced amount of growing space, which is something I, I need at the moment because I can then focus more on on helping other people. Yeah. Mm. Maybe let's go back before we come back to the present again. Yeah. Why why have you been excited about growing vegetables in your own garden? Like why, where did uh, that come from? So it came from when my first son was born. So my background is I had a corporate role. So I've worked for some of Australia's leading Biggest corporations, I worked in a change management role in the human resources team. So where there were mergers, new technology being introduced, I would go in and help them to assist their team through those changes. So whether that incorporated training or communication messages or that sort of thing. So I worked really, really long hours. One project I was working on, you know, I'd still be working at 10 o'clock at night and I'd be working in the car on the way in when my husband, like I wasn't driving, obviously my husband's driving. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I didn't stop and food for me was very transactional. We had to eat to wake up and keep going and do do the next day and meet, meet deadlines. So when I got pregnant and had my son, I was made redundant from my role and which was amazing blessing for me I was really pleased about it I wasn't devastated it was great timing so my focus then became around him and our family and just having time to really focus on things that in a different way than what I ever had before and just his precious beautiful little baby that I wanted to make sure got the very best food available and that I had control over what it was he was putting into his body became a massive focus for me and food became a real joy like I wasn't really interested in cooking before you know but now it's you know central to everything we do the kids get up in the morning the first thing they say is what's for dinner tonight (laughs) food is a big thing in this house so yeah it came it all stemmed from him and just that desire to feed him the best possible food I could Yeah. yeah And over time it became, you know, it's kind of my sanity as well. It's my time where I can just focus on smaller details and it slows me down and it gets me outside and 
keeps me active and yeah, I just love it. It's kind of grown over over the last six years to become not only a passion but my business, our life, everything. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking to you about that. <laughs> I do have a question though about like I think it's quite difficult question and I've gone on my own journey in this to work out what does healthy mean Yeah, because there's so many different ways of understanding that question mm. and answering that question and I've got my own what I've got a I've got a way of eating now yes. and I guess living that at the moment serves my health needs and I'm looking to refine that over time but I'm interested in how you you know at this that point in time when you became pregnant and you were like how do I give my child the best food, Yeah. what did you do to answer that question and what did you come up with? Yeah, yeah. it's a really tricky question and I think it's something that you, it's definitely something that's an individual thing. I don't think that you could, you know, it's not something that I would feel comfortable saying to other people, you should do this yeah. in this way. I don't feel comfortable with that either. Yeah. For, for what's appropriate for me is not necessarily for other people. We've come on our own journey, so I started off just becoming so immersed in fresh, good food for my kids that I'll give you an example of what happened. One day I went to help at my son's kindergarten and he took out his lunchbox and all the kids sit around in their little table groups and the other children were saying to my son, "Is is this a healthy snack? Is my lunchbox healthy? And they were asking him what yeah. he thought. Oh, hang on a minute. I'm not really sure I'm comfortable with being the authority at Kinder on what is healthy for other children. So I thought, oh, I might need to pull back a little bit and think about how I'm communicating food messages to him. And, you know, at the same similar time frame, he was invited to a child's birthday party that was going to McDonald's and he we. You know, it's not a place where we go. So he'd said to the child, well, that's rubbish food. I, you know, I'm not going to go there. And I thought, whoa, okay, no, this is not good. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we, you know, I changed the way that I was communicating to him about food and other people's right to choose what they eat and that, you know, it's okay to have treats and snacks sometimes and it's good to do that because it's fun and you need to explore other other things in life and other flavours and you need to be able to talk to other people about those experiences as well. So in terms of what's healthy for us, you know, we, we I've gone from being quite, <laughs> you know, on that all the time to my second son coming along and a much more relaxed approach and, you know, the kids get treats and snacks and all that kind of stuff. We're not strict, strict. But what has happened for us over the last year is that we've changed again because I was, I've been diagnosed with a digestive disorder and my son's been diagnosed with food intolerances. One of them has. So we now need to apply quite a strict and finicky overlay to everything we eat. So while we never ate many processed foods and our diet was always healthy, it wasn't healthy for for my son and I, yeah. so we had to completely change what what we ate. Even though what it was previously in other people's minds is healthy. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure if I've answered that or not. So I think the answer 
I would give is, you know, it's such an individual thing. But for me, you know, my focus is on getting as much fresh, good food as possible into my children's diets and that's a real focus for me. So, um, you know, that's really important to fuel their body and their growth and their ability to interact with their own environment as well and to understand how food grows and the effort that goes into it and what it takes to get it to the table. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's a bigger approach than what's just on your plate for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's how it got there as well a little bit. Well, not a little bit, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Are the boys, do they naturally get out there and help out in the garden and do that kind of thing as well? They less so now, so they're nine and six, but when they were babies and before they went to school you know because now most of the time that I'm out there they're at school so yeah look definitely less now but when they were children we built that space together so we were out there every day in some form whether it's five minutes or whether it was five hours you know they helped to plant all the fruit trees and they helped to plant the veggies and I send them down now to harvest stuff for dinner or they'll take the compost down. So they know where everything is. They know how everything works. They're less interested now because they have their own hobbies and things that they want to interact with. My eldest son, I've found, is now more interested in, rather than being in the garden, he's more interested in the kitchen and turning the food into something. So he wants to create his own recipes and, you know, try different things. Yeah, um, okay. To make and bake, which is a, a good extension anyway. So yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if he learns how to be able to look after himself and, you know, make good choices, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you've even, when we were outside, you were saying that you've, you've kind of worked out how much you save from having your own veggie garden across yeah. summer and winter. Yeah. Can you tell us what that is? So a couple of years ago, I measured, I weighed every day for a number of weeks what I was harvesting to work out how much we were getting out of the garden and potentially being able to put a price around it to to help people understand what they can achieve in their own space. So it worked out to be about $240 a month worth of veggies that we were harvesting in summer and that was just at a really rough estimate market price. It wasn't an I, my garden's grown organically, so all our mm. produce is organic, but I didn't do it on organic pricing. Okay. Yeah. So it was just, yeah, standard price. So every day in summer particularly, our whole menu is constantly created around what it is that I'm harvesting from the garden. So if I've got six zucchinis out of the garden that day, we're eating zucchini for yeah. a couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, you just get creative with the recipes. You know, I don't like to waste any of the food that comes from the garden and so everything is planned around yeah. that. And, you know, after six years you get very tuned into what works in the space and how much you need and how much is a suitable amount to grow as well. So, you know, I don't grow 10 zucchini plants because mm. the children would start throwing them at me Yeah, because <laughs> we would have so many zucchini. So, you know, you'll learn that you only need two zucchini plants and that's plenty for your family. But when it comes to things like tomatoes, I like to dehydrate them and I like to make sauce and I like to do, you know, a heap of different things to make them last beyond the season. So, you know, I 
happy to plant 50 or more tomato plants. So you kind of find your groove of what, what works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, summer is significant for us. I tend to shop for fruit for the kids' lunch boxes because I our fruit trees are too small to be producing enough to sustain that. And I will buy things like mushrooms that I don't grow and corn and, you know, a few bits and pieces like that. In winter, the harvests are much less because the plants grow slower. I try to plant some plants that are fast growing amongst the standard winter plants like your broccolis and your cabbage and your cauliflowers so that we do get um, the ability to harvest every day and I do in winter harvest every day but it might be a handful of kale or a handful of spinach leaves or lettuce for a salad or something like that so yeah day daily and again even in winter the menu is based around what's available from the garden so today for example I cut a pumpkin from last the last harvest we've still got a few left so I've just baked some biscuits that have got pumpkin in them and we're having homemade pizza for dinner which has got guess what on top (laughs) (laughs) and the kids like pancakes with pumpkin in them so which sounds weird but they're amazing with maple syrup so you know that we'll get pancakes one one day and I'll make soup or something like that so you know I'll plan out the menu around that pumpkin first and then whatever else is coming from the garden to to add in as well. Yeah. Mm. You talked a little bit about your kids giving advice at school yeah. and, uh, <laughs> you know, getting out in the garden. But what have you, you know, what, what are some of the things you think or maybe you've noticed in them as a result of you living this way and having so much food come from your own backyard? Yeah. I think that they're really willing to try foods they've got broad palates where they'll eat and try anything pretty much I mean they're they're kids so there's stuff that they're just going to say no I don't like that or and that's fine but they're willing to try more things than um, when they have kids over for a play date and they have their after school snacks like it's really evident to me that those children might not have had the opportunity to try so many yeah. things so they're a bit more picky about what they want to have for their afternoon snacks and I think that's a big thing they're willing to try herbs and grains and things that a lot of children will just not even attempt yeah okay <laughs> yeah the next step so the reason why you're scaling back in your own garden now yep. is because I'm helping more people in their gardens yeah <laughs> so I just feel so that I've been able to turn my passion and what I've done for our family into something that can help other people. So I work with families in, in this region and also kindergartens to help them set up their veggie gardens and then I coach them over a period of 12 months during that cycle so that not only they do they get their garden set up and planted, they can extend that past that first initial flush of success to learn to grow over the more difficult seasons where um, you know I hold their hand through through the process and through a year so they can then go on with confidence and continue to do it themselves. So because I'm going backwards and forwards to help my customers and as well as doing the setups and the programs with the kinders, I, do, I have less time to do my garden. Yeah. You know, they're my priority when I have a job booked. 
um, rather than my own space. So, was, Did that come into being when your own kids were at kindergarten? No, it's really recent. It kind of happened by accident just when a customer said to me, someone in my social media community said to me one day, oh, could you, could you come and do that for me? And I thought, oh, yeah, all right, why not? Yeah. And it just started from there and the, the, it literally took off within a matter of weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and because I had that background in training, development and change, it was very easy for me to pull together a, a program that would be suitable for the preschools and kindergartens and have something that worked with them and the local kindergarten that my children went to, the teacher said, oh, look, if you ever want to come and trial it, and come and trial it at our kinder. Okay then, yep, yeah. let's set up a date. So, you know, it just literally t- started and progressed from there. Yeah. As the, the power of social media when you post photographs of something yeah. that you're doing. Yeah. If it's of interest to other people and there's a need for it, then people will jump on it. So. Yeah. And for me, you know, because my children do have that reduced, I feel like my children have got a great base and foundation now. They understand seasonality, they understand how food grows, they're healthy, happy kids that eat well. So super keen to share that with other families and let them discover, you know, the amazing changes that can happen in your life when you start to grow a veggie garden. And I guess part of what I really like to, I guess, set up for people is the idea that it doesn't need to be a huge thing. You don't need to have a huge space. You don't need to have a huge garden or even a veggie garden, you know, you can just have two pots at your back door and that makes a difference and that can lead to some really amazing changes in in your life if you want it to, if you enjoy it and if that's something that you want to take on board. So, yeah, you know, when I go back and visit my customers, I'm amazed because I see all these progressions every time I visit of ways that their family home has changed. So, you know, I'll come back three months down the track and they might have a compost area set up Mm, now mm. and the mum's planning the food around what's available in the garden whereas I went you know she was showing me her cookbooks and how she was choosing the menu from her cookbooks well that's not you know I really like this picture I want to cook this tonight it's more what's in the garden what am I going to do with it yeah yeah so the changes are you know amazing and the kids they're other people's children are putting down their iPads and going outside instead after school to help harvest something for dinner or look at the progress of their carrots because they planted them and they're keen to see them coming along. So, you know, the way the family is spending time together is changing as well and, yeah, that gives me a real buzz. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you were doing... So you, you, you hinted at a couple of things there. You had had quite a big social or an online community already. Yeah. And you were doing home consultations as well is that right the way it kind of started was i've i had a blog so originally when i when we moved here and i really got into the gardening space i was trying to work out whether i wanted to go back to work or not i thought oh it, people my friends were really interested in what i was doing so what i was cooking what i was growing and everyone wanted to be you know have some have me show them stuff and talk about it. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll start a blog. So I started my blog five years ago and it was just to share the garden and 
the recipes that we were that I was cooking from the food in the garden, and so that that generated a community. And from that community over the five year period has, you know, over time asked me pretty much the same questions over the dip seasons. And so I created a product called Kitchen Garden Box, which is like a do-it-yourself kit that families can use to start their garden. And I wrote my book. It's this one here? Yeah. Grow just one thing? That's it. So from that, then people started to say, well, can you just come and do it for me? Yeah. <laughs> I, love the, I love the book. I love the seed kit, but could you just come and do it for me? So that's how the service kind of came, came into play. So it's been a real organic growth over a period of time where my community told me what they wanted and I gave it to them. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been all things that have kind of lit me up when someone has said, can you, and I'll go, yeah, sure. (laughs) That sounds cool. So, yeah, it's it's rather than me having a very specific business-focused plan, I was never like that. It was just me sharing my passion and yeah. it's grown into to that into a business. Did you did you ever have aspirations at the time that it would grow into being a business, or you were just kind of talking about things that excited you? I was talking about things. That, so I was hoping to cover the costs. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll get some advertising money to cover the server costs, the hosting costs, or something. But I would never thought I would have a business centred around it. I guess five years ago there weren't so many blogs as what there are today because there's a gazillion of them now, so it's a bit less noisy back then. And originally I did earn money from the blog after the first couple of years by some of Australia's leading food brands approached me to create recipes for them, so I did some recipe development and that was the main main sort of way I started to earn money. Yeah. I don't really I don't really do things for other brand for brands now I'm very focused on achieving my aim I've got a big audacious hairy goal that I work towards and that's my you know if it doesn't work something doesn't work me towards that point then it doesn't happen so yeah what is that (laughs) can you say what it is yeah yeah so my aim is to help every Australian family grow at least one fresh food item at home yeah that's my objective yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and what ways are you going about what are the what are the ways you're doing that at the moment so my book is called grow just one thing so it's aimed at busy mums and helping them overcome the overwhelm I guess that people have around and all the questions that they have around beginning to grow fresh food and I've just started a free challenge which I run at the start of every season so we've just run run the spring one a couple of weeks ago and it's it's called again the grow just one thing challenge and people can join in over four days and they get an email where they basically go and do the steps they're told to do over the four days and by the end of the four days they have their very first plant yeah. <laughs> growing in progress. So do do that with the kids ideally. For me, I'm very keen to make sure that the children are involved in the process. So all the content and information is, is based around that and being quick activities that busy mums can do without it being an onerous task and without adding more to their to-do list because mums are crazy busy. Like they yeah. just don't need another thing to no. add to the day. <laughs> so it's all about keeping it simple, keeping it quick. You know, in reality... Getting going through that very quick, short process 
saves a mum time because it means they don't have to get in the car and go to the supermarket at the end of the day. They're not going to have to try to resurrect soggy herbs that they bought two days ago from the supermarket that are, they have to chuck in the bin. You know, they can just grab it outside. So, yeah, it's about trying to help people get those wins, quick wins. Yeah. <laughs> so they're the main things that are the book and the challenge. And, of course, my website's got five years' worth of content and information people can go and grab on their planting guides and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Facebook, I try to put hints and tips on there for things that are relevant at this point in time in the, in the season. I'll write up, you know, notes on what I'm doing at the minute and things people can start to think about and, you know, when it's okay to start planting their t- next round of tomatoes or whatever it might be at the time. Yeah. Mm. In achieving, say, you know, everyone in Australia was growing at least one thing. Yeah. What do you think would be different about the place? I think that people would be more focused on seasonality of food. It's a real bugbear and passion of mine is to, you know, I would love for supermarkets to not be allowed to sell food that is imported from another country and food that's not in season in Australia. So I think that would change because people begin to understand that not everything's available all the time and it's just not practical to think that it should be. So I would hope that that would be a change and that people as a buy product of that would be supporting local producers and farmers and businesses who are growing and producing these amazing ingredients that we can should be taking better advantage of. So I think knowledge, mate, less waste, I think, is a huge thing. You know, if you're not buying something in a piece of plastic from the supermarket but you're grabbing it from the backyard, that's going to have a huge impact on our environment. You know, you're not travelling. The food, if there's not a demand for food to be shipped from overseas, then you're cutting out all that, you know, transit and storage and travel and people can really benefit from tasting what fresh good food actually tastes like because it's quite different than food that's been sitting in a fridge for six months before you get to eat it. You know, I read lots of studies about the nutritional value of food that's picked fresh as opposed to food that's gone into storage and there's a, you know, significant decline in nutrient value once food has been harvested. So if you can just go out the back and pick it from your garden and eat it, you are just doing yourself such a huge favour. So, you know, there's, there's health implications. You're connecting your children with the outdoors and keeping them fit and healthy. So I think it's there's so many lessons that children can learn outside as well that benefit everybody. I mean, they're, they're the next generation. So if you can engage all of their senses outside with, the, the smell and the touch and the sound of the, the outdoors and, and the garden spaces, then you're having a significant impact, I think. Um, you know, not necessarily something you can pinpoint right at this minute, but, yeah, I think the benefits are immense. Yeah. That's a few of them. I'm sure there's millions I could probably crap on about that. <laughs> <laughs> turns out I have spoken to a few people, I guess, who are doing interesting things in their garden through this podcast and also just with gardens in general. So I spoke a lady who's got a 
it's not really a business, I suppose, a movement or a, an organization that helps people reclaim unused land and turn it into like a, a, a food garden. And they, they give them the resources to contact like the relevant authority who might uh, have um, stewardship over that land. Like it might be Vic Track or might be just be a vacant lot and then help them to get leases over that particular point of land, piece of land and then help them build like the, you know, the raised, the raised beds and that kind of thing as well. And yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm, I'm getting at is, yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's lots of different ways to do this kind of thing. And I guess, you know, for you, it's even people in an apartment can grow one thing, really. And then there's other ways to maybe band with other people to, to appropriate a piece of land and they can and work on that together. And that then helps them connect with their neighbours as well. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. One of the other things she talked about, which I thought was interesting too, is just, you know, I lived in an apartment for quite a long time. And one of the things that struck me was how, how little I actually touched the dirt in my day-to-day life. And I think there's something quite special about actually getting my hands dirty, you know, dirt under my nails yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there's some of the other things that I think about too. Yeah, and taking your shoes off and just walking on the grass or just laying down on the grass outside. It's, yeah. Yeah, just that connection. Because we spend so much time hooked into technology and in machinery, whether it's a car or... I don't know, there's a million things we do every day where we're just completely disconnected, I think, from yeah. from the natural environment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And then we, it, at the moment it takes a conscious effort to reconnect ourselves yes. with those things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got a few more questions for you before yeah. we wrap up. One of them is about what do you notice about yourself from, I guess, the, the corporate role that you had to doing what you're doing now? Mm-hmm. So the main difference is I'm excited to start my day every day now. I'm not, I don't dread going to work. I don't dread who I have to speak to in a meeting or bad news I have to deliver or how I have to manipulate people to achieve an end result that's considered to be a greater good for an organisation. For me, I guess in my gut, it was not making a, a good contribution to anybody. I wasn't really helping anybody except a big company make more money yeah. <laughs> and get their people to do what they wanted them to do. Whereas now, for me, I'm excited about the new project I'm working on or who I'm going to be talking to or, you know, what home I'm going to go and visit and I'm going to see the growth of their veggies and, you know, or I'm planning for a kinder visit. So... It's definitely a motivational thing for me because it's something that I'm I want to do. Yeah, it makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, does it give you? It seems like you'd have a bit more flexibility as well. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So now I can go to the kids' sport to watch them if they're running in a, you know, if they've got athletics and they're running in a race, or if they school needs volunteers or help to do. Our school does the Stephanie Alexander program, so yeah. I go and help when they do the cooking days, for example, I go in and help for those sort of things. And it means, well, my jobs before were all Melbourne-based, so it was a really, really early trip into the city and it was a late trip home where the kids went to childcare after. So, you know, from a family perspective, the kids get to participate in sport activities after school 
and we get to do things together and I get to plan our food and meals. So, you know, it's a, it's a nice pace where I'm not rushed and under pressure all the time and I know that I'm really fortunate to be in that position because most people don't get that choice. So, yeah, I'm hugely grateful for that. So I guess part of my thing that I'm really keen to focus on with the families I work with is making a space or helping them get to a point that's achievable for them and their lifestyle. So when I work with a family, I spend a lot of time talking to them about how much time do they have and what, you know, going through a whole process where I get to understand their lifestyle and how they like to eat, what involvement they want to have with their children in the garden and stuff like that so that it's, it's not an onerous big thing but it suits them whether they're working full-time part-time or if they're at home with the kids so yeah yeah i yeah it's it's a good point because i mean a life like yours i guess for some people feels really out of reach Mm. and how how to even make the first step towards that yeah perhaps i really admire that way that you go in there not kind of judgmental but sort of working with people where they're at to to create a little bit of space for something new or something to grow. Yeah. 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 And that's the whole thing of starting small with just one thing that, that's achievable for anybody no matter where they live in an apartment. If they don't even have a balcony, you know, you could put it on your windowsill. It's, yeah. You know, you could do it if you, if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Two more questions for you. Yeah. The first one's about something else that you'd like to be part of shaping or changing or subtly disrupting one day. So at the moment you're, I guess, you're, you're helping people reconnect with, with food and where it comes from and the seasonality of that, the nutrient value of that and the, the impact that that can have on their lives. Is there something else that you daydream about being part of outside of your big, hairy, audacious goal? That one day you'd like to, or, or you think somebody else, man, I wish somebody would tackle that thing. Um, that's a good question. That's a hard question. I have, I haven't thought beyond my big goal because for me everything's focused on on working through that. You know, maybe to be centered ar- around waste. Like my mind's really turning at the moment to being focused on removing plastics and waste from our home so I'm working towards that with different materials that are on the market like you know the wraps you could food covers and things like that Mm. you know I think that's a huge issue that we need to address that society is just so wasteful (laughs) um I think that's an important one and I'm not sure I guess by having having a garden, one of the things that, that you do is you have the ability to transform your waste back into a usable resource that goes back into the garden. Yeah. So you can create your compost, you can have a worm farm. You're not travelling to buy the food, you're using it from, from your own space. So because you're so conscious of the fact that you've grown it, you just you just don't waste it because that just goes against the grain of the achievement of having grown it. So mm. I think <laughs> that that helps. But you know, in society as a general space, you know, where people 
our consumers. I think you're right. I think that is a natural flow on from growing your own food to being much more aware of, yeah, waste and, mm. and where it's being generated. And because it's a similar kind of idea where if you're buying food from a shop, it's hard to know the source of that food and really identify with that. And likewise, if rubbish is going into the bin, it's, it's kind of hard to visualize where that's ending up. Yes. Yeah. The closed loop part of doing everything on your own, in your own backyard. Yeah. Brings that front of mind. Yeah. Yeah. The second, the last question is about yourself. Yep. And about uh, something small or subtle that you've done in your own life that's had an important or, or large impact, a positive impact <laughs> and would be interesting for other people. The most recent thing, I think, is how I eat my lunch. So, you know, I squeeze my work time predominantly into the time the kids are at school. So in that time, I also need to manage our home and everything that happens in and around it as well. So I used to eat on the run as I was going or at the computer desk, I'd be, you know, shoving something into my mouth while I was answering another email or trying to finish a blog post or whatever I was doing. And when I was diagnosed with my digestive disorder, one of the things that came up from that was that, you know, stress is a major trigger for some of my symptoms. So now I plan my lunch and it can't be quick because I can no longer eat any breads or grains or anything like that. So I can't just grab a piece of toast and chuck something on it or grab a sandwich. I need to think about what I'm going to eat and I need to have it organized for the day. So now I go out to the garden, I have a look around, I'll grab some stuff for a salad and I'll put my phone aside, I'll move out of the office and I will sit and spend that time thinking about what I'm going to eat, eating and just being. Sometimes I'll go out, if it's nice weather, I'll go outside and eat and just sit in the sun for five minutes or ten minutes. But taking that time every day and giving myself a break and a minute to just stop has been had a really big influence on my health and my state of mind and my my calmness for the rest of the day because yeah. I don't feel so pushed and on the run I guess when I just take up time yeah mm. that's an excellent one <laughs> yeah oh, Kirsty thank you so much for thank taking you. the time thanks to chat thanks for coming all awesome. the way to see us yeah no worries at all <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with me, the best way to do that is through email to adam at subtledisruptors.com. Thank you so much to the people that do send me emails. I really appreciate the encouragement. I really appreciate the guests that you suggest as well. Many of them have turned into actual guests on this show. So if you do have any suggestions, please send them through. Something else you could do if you can find the time is to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or through other platforms that you might use. It's pretty easy to do through the app or through on your phone or on your laptop or computer. I hope you feel a little more encouraged, connected and resolute in your own quest to subtle disruption. And one day, I hope to hear about your subtle disruption as well. Bye for now.